Welcome to Upholding Matters, a podcast devoted to talking about what matters. Now, I was raised to believe that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness were things that mattered. And certainly they are the unalienable rights that Jefferson wrote about in the Declaration of Independence. We will talk about how to uphold them, how they hold us up, and why that matters. Welcome to Upholding Matters. I'm your host, David Paul. I ended last show by promising just slightly on a fade-out that we would get to Brett Kavanaugh and Rod Rosenstein. And the wait was worth it. What an amazing day. Now, I'll admit it. I, like probably millions of Americans, was glued to the TV all day watching the testimony of Christine Blasey Ford, Dr. Ford, a woman who has brought the first layer of sexual assault allegations to the door of Brett Kavanaugh, the district circuit court judge that is up for the Supreme Court. There is a lot here. Now, I know that a lot of people don't put a great deal of thought into the Supreme Court unless you're studying constitutional law or the history of movements, labor movements, civil rights movements, things like that. And this is a day that will change America in many ways if Brett Kavanaugh is confirmed and put on the Supreme Court in a way that, well, it matters. Upholding matters means that you have a vague familiarity with the three branches of government. So you have the executive, the president, you have Congress, the Senate, and the House of Representatives. And then you have the judicial branch, uh, the Supreme Court, to settle cases that arise between states, um, people, you know, it goes on. So states suing the federal government, organizations, businesses, uh, the Supreme Court settles all law that gets taken up and upheld. You know, it's kind of cool. It's upholding. And that's really what the Supreme Court does as the final voice, because you have the, you know, many layers of courts. But that's why Brett Kavanaugh is already a lifetime judge on this appellate court that's, it takes all the cases that have been Um, tried in other districts, and if there's an appeal or something, they hear it. So it goes up the chain. The next step is the Supreme Court, and there are consequential decisions made there that affect people greatly. And basically, it is consequential because, you know, there's nine people on the Supreme Court, justices, and if there's a Well, you know, you want to have a mix between the liberal and conservative broad categories, I know. But 
interpreting the law is not really science as much as art. So you have to have people with integrity. That's why it's so absolutely important that they're able to tell the truth. And I think the biggest fear with women's groups and other groups is that Brett Kavanaugh represents a overturning of Roe v. Wade, the landmark a Supreme Court case that made abortion legal. And if they made it illegal, it would go back to the states, but it would be a mess. It would be very inconvenient for women to control their right to control their own destiny. Now, abortion is one of those issues for me as a man that I think is at the top of things that you should care about, stand up for, uphold, uh, defend, because it really matters. So I can't think of a more uh, principled matter to take a stand on. So it's complex, and the people that are anti-abortion, right to life, it's it makes sense. You know, we don't want to kill anybody or sanction the killing of people. Although, if you look at statistics, the people that... This was in a book, Freakonomics, 10 years ago. I picked this up. You know, it's just an observation, a comparison, if you will. So the comparison is that people who are law and order and want to end uh, violence on the streets and put people in prison. And the studies show that there are less people in prison now because of the abortion rates. You know, people weren't born into a world that couldn't sustain them or help them or do anything other than turn them into criminals that were destined to enter the criminal justice system. And <laughs> what a ball of wax that is. I may have talked about this before. I worked in a prison, a maximum security prison, as well as a county jail. And jail and prison is, is a traumatic experience that everybody should be saved from. I, I think there are some genetic sociopaths, people that will just become killers. But generally speaking, we get what we deserve as far as raising people, though. And life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are hard to find in prison. It's, it's hell. And quickly, before I forget, I used to like Bill Cosby when I was a little kid. He, he had albums, records that we would get when they came out and listen to him and laugh. And it's just a shame, but it's fulfilling in a way that justice has prevailed. Now, you know, we've talked about this, I hope, criminal justice, social justice, and just plain justice. Justice is achievable for all of us. We, we have to hope that. And still, even though Bill Cosby, this is the thing, I've never been able to understand a star like that. Uh, you know, if he can't get chicks, my goodness, he's doing something wrong. 
So I would say, though, that if a man as rich and powerful and famous as Bill Cosby can succumb to justice, it probably plays out more often than not that if he was a Brett Kavanaugh, he might not go to jail. He might go to the Supreme Court. Okay, so I don't ever want to be flippant with people going to jail or... I feel for this Brett Kavanaugh if he's actually innocent, but let's talk about that first. And what I saw today, the day was great with Dr. Ford. She was so credible and honest and decent and, you know, you you believed her. The facts show that, I mean, common sense, I should say, there's no reason for her to do this. It's just a great burden on her life and the way they told the story how she was compelled once uh, before I should say he was on the short list after he was put on the short list for possible Supreme Court justices it's then that Dr. Ford who had told this to therapists written in notes her husband in therapy Years before that Brett Kavanaugh had done this to her, she she laid out very succinctly how that happened. Because when that did happen, when he became on that short list, she decided that she had to tell her story. And so it wasn't held back by the Democrats like the Republicans like to say. And again, I am just dumbstruck to think that politics would be put above country and the the thing is that this Senate body controlled by the Republicans did not do an investigation. They could have had the FBI come in and run down leads and there was plenty of time to run this stuff down and um, she accused Brett Kavanaugh and his friend of being in the room and doing this and the guy's still alive he's still available and they didn't subpoena him or compel him in any way to come in and actually testify Brett Kavanaugh under examination by the senators kept saying that he is uh, under penalty of felony or however they put it has made a statement but it's not a real statement it was a letter submitted by this guy's attorney and he then he sent out a tweet that said that uh, he denies it to clear that up but the woman's friend Dr. Ford who was there when they were young she didn't really say that she doesn't remember or she wasn't there. She made a different statement, and they turned that into um, a denial by her, and that wasn't the case. This woman called Dr. Ford and explained to her what had happened, how 
she hadn't really said what they said she said. And it, today, you know, I, I love the Internet, and I found it on um, a couple of sites. They have the complete tapes of both the Kavanaugh and the Ford testimonies. And uh, I encourage you to watch it because I don't think I can describe it adequately. You know, I was waiting eagerly to see the testimony today because I've watched some of the other hearings. I've never seen Dr. Ford. But I was willing to keep an open mind because I can understand what the Republicans are saying. If Dianne Feinstein had held on to this thing, this report, and never said anything about it, that would be dirty politics, I guess, to release it later. But it really wasn't like that. Dr. Ford asked Senator Feinstein to keep it confidential. So she had to honor that. And people like to cite about the Anita Hill 1991 Clarence Thomas uh, confirmation hearings, and they stopped those hearings and went out and did an investigation. And that's all they were asking today. Just get this other guy that Mark Judge is his name, I believe. Get him in there and put him under oath and ask him what happened. One of the really odd things about today, it's against the way the Senate usually operates. The Republicans brought in a female prosecutor to direct all their questions to um, Dr. Ford so that it wouldn't look like old white men are beaten up on a woman like it appeared with Anita Hill way back when. So it's always fun in these high-stake events, and you think that this woman that the Republicans brought in would be there for a deliberate purpose to make the woman look as bad as they could and not be laid at the doorstep of these Republican men and to get Brett Kavanaugh confirmed she worked for them. But it turned out that it, things changed, and that's what I love about life. You just never really know. The female prosecutor looked a little mean when she was picking on Dr. Ford for the polygraph test she took instead of realizing that if Brett Kavanaugh would take one, that would be fair and right. And Dr. Ford was willing to do that, and she did, and it was a good test, but the Republicans won't allow the polygraph examiner to come into the hearing either and say under oath that she passed the test and everything she was saying is true. And then she got the prosecutor a little followed up because Dr. Ford took it in a hotel because she was on her way home from her grandmother's funeral, and that was really uh, went over. So now it turns out that after Dr. Ford was done testifying and they took a break, they brought in Brett Kavanaugh. And I always want to be fair but I have to tell you, I have a lot of experience with seeing angry people. And this guy looked like he had some sort of derangement syndrome. He came out, 
He was insulting. He was rude. He asked questions of the senators who were there to question him. And I don't know how he does this on the bench where he sits as a judge, but can you imagine someone, a defendant, asking him questions after he's asked them a question? Uh, He wouldn't tolerate that. So why would he do that to a senator who, in part, should have his fate in his hands? I don't get that. Unless you consider that Trump told him to do this, come out. He was disappointed with his Fox interview and told him to get more lively. And certainly after this crazy performance, Trump is said to be pleased with how he fought back. And he just looked crazy. And he didn't want to answer questions about his drinking. And the prosecutor did ask him a few rounds of questions. But then all of a sudden, something changed. And Lindsey Graham jumped in and took his time back, which isn't probably even allowed in the rules because he'd already used it for the prosecutor to ask questions. And they didn't like the way that was going. And I have another thought on it all. I think after the first break, in part because what I just said, the woman was doing too good of a job, but partly because they saw this Kavanaugh go crazy, too, along with everyone else. And they decided that they had to turn it up to crazy to kind of wash away or normalize what this Supreme Court nominee was doing. It was really funny. I mean, in an odd kind of way. My hometown senator, Dick Durbin from Illinois, he got some really good questions in because he was just asking him if he would, asking Kavanaugh if he would ask for an FBI investigation. He kept saying, I will do whatever the committee wants. And, you know, he said in the beginning he'll do anything to seek justice and all he's got to do is ask for the FBI investigation but the way he just stopped answering Dick Durbin's questions it was absolutely priceless so once the Republicans had yanked the female prosecutor and Lindsey Graham had gone into his tirade they went back and forth between the Democrats asking substantial questions and if he wanted the matter investigated by the FBI and the Republican senators grandstanding with their talks about how they felt so bad for him, Judge Kavanaugh. The Republicans all did a great job feigning outrage when the real outrage is the games they're willing to play, not realizing what risk they pose to our country and the validity of our Supreme Court and all the other standards America stands for. So with Rob Rosenstein, he oversees, he's the deputy attorney general after Jeff Sessions had to recuse himself because he was a member of the Trump campaign. 
and couldn't really investigate the matter. So Rosenstein, the deputy, is now in charge of Robert Mueller's investigation. And Donald Trump has long wanted him gone. And if you think about it, if you just keep knocking off the people like James Comey, that the director of the FBI, and all the people that are in charge of justice and the investigation should be a conclusion that you can get to that stops the investigation, theoretically. I don't think that that's how it works, nor do experts, but Donald Trump seems to. So with the delays in the uh, Senate hearings for Kavanaugh, I think it was decided that they would the White House would push back the Rosenstein decision um, for a while. And so in the beginning of the week, it was still maybe on. And then by Wednesday and Thursday, it was put off till next week. So he lives another week. And I just want to say that I cannot wait until Robert Mueller files his report I wish this was over and we could see it plain, but even then, there are some that aren't going to believe it. So while all this is happening, Donald Trump gets to go to the United Nations in New York, and he's got his apartment in Trump Towers there, so he's almost home. And he takes his big contingent and goes to the United Nations, and he gets to chair a committee, which means that gets to call the meeting to order and he also got to give a speech and he started doing this well braggadocious stuff and how his administration has accomplished more in the first two years than most American presidents ever did and that America is greater than ever and what happened was kind of startling because A lot of these world leaders in the crowd listening on translators started laughing at him. And at first he thought, well, he heard it, and then he decided to, you know, he handled it pretty well. But I think that his ego just instantly converts it into his head, into something much like he said later. I believe it was while he was making his remarks, chairing the a committee meeting in the big room that he said that the United States government has credible evidence that a foreign power is trying to hack our 2018 elections. And then he said it was China. And he's got proof that they're doing these things. And so you look at the um, Chinese ambassador sitting there and He's just got this look on his face like, what What did that guy say? He, he kind of just shrugged his shoulders quaintly and, you know, they cannot believe the level of buffoonery. And then there was the really long press conference after two days at the UN. And he took a lot of questions and, you know, it, it's just amazing to watch him. And that's where he explained that people were laughing with him and not against him. And uh, I guess you'd have to think that. You'd have to think that 
The world is laughing at you. And the world is laughing on these trade wars. And we're in a trade war with France and Canada. And Trump wouldn't even take a one-on-one five-minute meeting with Justin Trudeau and Macron of France. It's, these were his buds at one point. And now he won't even talk to him because he has a trade war with some of our closest allies. Some of the things he says are so egotistical that it's hard to fathom how anyone who examines what he says can't see that this is nothing but just empty boasting. I try and remember some of the more remarkable ones, but I've put them out of my mind, and I suggest you see his press conference online if you can find it, because it's an exercise in, what did he say? And you'd think we'd be used to that by now. Oh, and out of all of that at the UN and the press conference, still no condemnation of Russia or even a mention of what Putin's trying to pull. I watched a documentary within the last week. It was about Joseph Stalin and the Soviet regime and Solzhenitsyn uh, wrote a book about the Gulag and it was during the thaw after Stalin died and Khrushchev took over that There was some artistic freedom granted, and the book somehow got out. But it's a frightening tale of the torture and the exploitation of the old Soviet regime. And I just wonder if people realize that Vladimir Putin admires that and is trying to recreate it. So we have the integrity of the Supreme Court in question, We have Trump making fresh frenemies in the world, embarrassing America, and Rob Rosenstein, perhaps under fire, even before the Mueller investigation concludes, hey, I'm hoping that that'll get done quickly. (laughs) 